Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. On this massive day, number one, um, because the Bucks are going to make their second appearance in a row in the NFC Championship game after crushing the Rams today at three, so that's the first big thing. Um, and have home field advantage because the Niners beat the Packers last night. So anyway, um, that's... And then also, can we give it up one more time for those stories of baptisms and life change and what God's doing through that? Absolutely incredible. And Bradley already said it. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for creating a church like this. Like this is why we show up. This is why we do what we do. So, so glad you're with us. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, I know with sickness and all kinds of stuff going on, we have a lot of people joining us um, online. So thank you for joining us and participating and all those on unfiltered radio all around the state. Um, I know a lot of you are listening and watching in right now, but we are in part three of this series called On the Right Track. And here's the thing that all of us have said at some point or another, and this kind of goes along the lines of what we've been talking about now for the third week, but um, all of us have had this moment where uh, directionally, just in terms of life, you're showing up somewhere, we've, ha- we've said the statement, I would have never gotten there without you, right? And, and again, just in terms of life, like, okay, you can follow me because there's no way, even with a GPS, you're gonna find your way there because it's crazy. Um, and meet me in the lobby because this place is super complicated and you're gonna lose your way. Or like if you're in an airport trying to find the right terminal and you find somebody who's willing to help you, like, hey, just follow me, I'll take you there. But all of us had those moments where um, somebody was there at just the right moment and we said on the flip side, like, I wouldn't have gotten there, I wouldn't have ri- arrived without you. And in that moment, basically what we're doing just in terms of like life directionally is if we're convinced that they know how to get to where we wanna get, but we don't know how to get there, then we just, we follow them. We trust that they're gonna get us there. And in essence, what they're saying to us is follow me. Like I know where I'm going, I'll lead you there. And all of us have experienced that in life. So in this series, we're talking about the fact that your your um, ultimately, not intentions, but your direction in life, like your priorities, your decisions, what you pay attention to, what you don't pay attention to, your direction, not your intention, ultimately determines your destination in life. And that's just true for all of us. You don't have to even factor in God for that to be true. It's just a true thing. And here's what we said as well, that every one of us, if I were to sit down and go like, hey, what's your like plan for two years, five years, 10 years, like for your marriage? Like, what's your dream for your kids? What do you want spiritually or maybe emotionally? And there's some like multi-generational stuff that you're hoping to dig yourself out of. Or where do you wanna be just in terms of your business or, or where you wanna go in terms of some of the, the organizational dreams you have? Like even if you haven't written them down, you have a two, five-year, 10-year plan. But the thing that all of us a lot of times don't realize in terms of a disconnect is what we intend to to like desire for our future. The, the direction that we intend to go doesn't always match up directionally with where we're headed. And it's almost worse in like church world because we kind of over-spiritualize it to think that I can have all of these intentions 
but I can make decisions that lead me in this direction. And somehow I'm gonna pray my way, believe my way or attend my way over here anyway. And God's like, no, I haven't set the world up to work that way. And in fact, intentions aren't a really good predictor of the future. A much better predictor of the future is your current behavior. Like that ultimately is the trajectory that you're on because your behavior ultimately determines really the direction that you're headed. And the direction that you're headed ultimately is gonna lead to a destination. And a lot of times in some ways that destination is a predetermined destination. Not because God's after you or God's gonna try to get you back because God just set the world up to work in terms of cause and effect and sow and reap. And the principle that we get in terms of um, geographical directions applies to our life. But in so many cases, the intention that we have and the direction that we're headed are two really different things. So here's what I wanna focus in on because last week I talked a lot about intention and the disconnect. I wanna focus on this whole idea of direction, that your direction, like where you are currently headed, not your intention, is ultimately kind of the prescriber of your future destination. And here's really where I wanna go. This is all my chips are on the table with this. This is kind of bold because I don't know your story, but I'll just tell you where I'm going with this and you don't have to do anything. But my, my whole desire is to invite some of you, maybe many of you that are watching or listening, that maybe this would kind of be the moment where you would full on, this is kind of sounds old school, but you would full on surrender your life to following Jesus. And like, that's a little bit like, okay, but you don't even know me. You don't know what I've experienced in terms of leadership in the church. No, I don't. You, you don't get what happened when I like, I've been praying that for three years and God didn't seem to even like lean into my prayer at all. You don't understand what I've dealt with in terms of like this shame and guilt. And then my mother-in-law heaped more upon me. Like you don't understand how I was hurt. You don't understand what happened when they didn't get healed. You don't understand how badly they wronged me. You don't understand what I'm carrying. And I don't, I don't, I don't understand any of that. But I, I just wanna invite you to surrender your life to his direction and ultimately to trust him with your destination. And it's bold because I don't know your story and I don't know your questions and I don't know your doubts and I get all of that. But here's the thing that I've encountered over and over and over again is the story of I would not be where I'm at or I would have never gotten here without in the context of following Jesus. In a lot of cases, when they started out, they didn't even know where here was. They didn't even know where they needed to go. They weren't really exactly sure even what the destination was. But on the flip side of it, the story, and you hear this so many times in baptism, I would not be where I'm at. I would not be at this current destination without following Jesus. I would have never arrived here. I wouldn't even have really known that here existed. I didn't even know that this was possible emotionally, spiritually, relationally. And I just wouldn't have got here without following Jesus here. This is a story I got a few weeks ago um, of somebody who's coming to our church and um, they got married and they both were, um, grew up in kind of religious backgrounds that they hated to put it just really bluntly, but those are their words. And then um, they got married and some stuff happened. They really had no interest in religion and church and all of this. And then they're like, okay, well, we should go to church because they had this big life event and that's generally how it happens. Like we should just get some God in here. And so they both didn't know where to go. They weren't gonna go to each other's churches or denominations because that was a bad experience. And so he had it put on him to find a place. And he's like, I need to find a place that she will hate because I don't really want to go to church. And so if I can pick a place she hates, she'll come hate it and we won't have to do it again. And so he picked Centerpoint. Um, 
because I don't think she'll like that at all. And so they came and against everything that he was hoping and praying for, they attended. And when they got done the first week, she's like, I can't wait to go back next week. He's like, oh crap, that, like, that wasn't the plan. I was hoping this was one and done. We'd never have to do this again. And they continued to come back. And um, I won't tell you the whole story. He began to question and his questions led him to really good places. And they both reignited a relationship and journey with Jesus. And now they're full on following Jesus with their life. They're serving, they're all in. And all of that, they would say without expecting it or even at the time really wanting it, all it happened because of reconnecting in a relationship with Jesus. And what they would tell you in their own words is that there is no promise, as we said throughout this series of pain-free, problem-free with Jesus, it just doesn't exist. But Jesus will make your life better and Jesus will make you better at life. Like Jesus' way is just better directionally. And it has a pre-described destination that is not perfect circumstances or pain-free and problem-free, but his destination tied to that direction of following him is just better. John wrote about this tension. John, um, who was the guy that was maybe closest to Jesus, at least for a time, was with Jesus throughout the years of his ministry, wrote about Jesus, and he describes this tension that I'm talking about. Now, you probably know this already, but it's just worth repeating. John was the guy that sits down, and I, I can never get past this anytime I cite any of his writing. John was the guy that gave us the fact that the epicenter, the character, the nature of who God is, is love. And that doesn't mean a lot to some of you, even if you're not sure about God, you're like, well, if there is a God, I think he should be a God of love. That's not how anybody thought in the first century. It was a pantheon of gods and the gods honestly didn't even like people. And so you are constantly trying to get in the good graces of the gods so they didn't light you up or destroy your crops. And it was John that came along to go, listen, I'm telling you, I was with Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I had conversations with Jesus. We hung out a lot. I watched what he did. I watched what he heard, what he said. I watched how he conducted his life. And I'm telling you that the heart of who he is, is love and grace and you're like, well, John, your circumstances must have worked out pretty well for you to say that. And John would be like, no, none of them worked out. In fact, it felt like I had no benefit of following Jesus. When I'm writing this letter, I'm exiled to an island and I don't have any friends. I'm not saying any of this because somehow like my circumstances worked out. I'm saying this because I was with Jesus. I watched him die. I lost all hope. And then I saw him resurrect from the grave, had breakfast with him on the beach. And despite horrific circumstances, I've come to believe that God is for me, God is with me. And at the epicenter of who he is, despite the fact that I am spending my retirement years on an island with nobody else around and I'm gonna get crucified at the end of my life, I believe that God is love. <laughs> That's what John brought us. And so John sits down to write about this story that brings this tension to the surface. And the story is, is about Jesus' first 5K. And Jesus 5K was, in his version, was feeding 5,000 people in the middle of this massive talk where everybody's hungry and everybody starts to complain. And Jesus does this incredible miracle. And then John describes what happens on the backside of that miracle because Jesus gets done, feeds 5,000 people, which I know that's a crazy story, but just hang with me because that's not really the point of what I'm talking about. Jesus gets done. He then is gassed because like it took a lot of energy out of him. And so he decides to chill by walking across the water to the other side. And that took a lot out of him as well, because we don't really know like what, you know, the physical toll of walking across the water is, but it's, it's probably a lot. 
And so Jesus gets to the other side of the water and he's tired. And at that moment, and just by the way, really quick side note, because I know where some of you are coming at and you're like, are you serious? You believe that? Okay, listen, it is difficult to believe that Jesus took loaves of fish and fed 5,000. It is difficult to believe that Jesus walked on water. I get all of that. It's my simple theology and apologetic that I've shared with you for years if you've been around here. The only reason I believe that is not because it's easy to believe that somebody walked on water. The only reason I believe that is because all secular historians will tell you now that there is no doubt that Jesus lived. There is no doubt that Jesus died. No reputable historian will doubt that. And there is overwhelming historical evidence that Jesus walked out of a grave alive. Overwhelming. Now, you've heard me saying this so many times. It's difficult for me to believe that somebody walks across water, but in light of walking out of a grave alive, that is JV level. So I'm like, there's not a lot of evidence for walking on water. I'm not really sure. But if you walked out of a grave alive, I'll just say, yes, you probably did that. So Jesus gets the other side and everybody wants to make him king because if you walk on water, you should be king of something. And they also, Jesus had just fed people. And this is again, lost on us. But in that culture, the king would provide his subjects with food. If you could somehow get yourself in a position where you could be supply for people, that you could help direct people, provide for people in that culture, literally that was the only qualification for king. Like we will make you king if you can feed us. And so Jesus is there and literally the crowds want to make him a king because of what he's doing, because of what he's representing, because of how he's able to supply for them in a culture where there was so much scarcity and his disciples are all there. And they see what's happening and they see what is going on and they follow him to the other side. And here's where John picks it up. And this narrative is so, so powerful and I'm leading you somewhere. So just stay with me for the next couple minutes. But in John 6, 25, they get to the other side after Jesus had done all of this. The crowds are going nuts. The disciples are out of their minds and they found him on the other side of the lake and they asked him, Rabbi, and just real quick, this is their effort of like small talk because they really want something. This is, my kids are not that old, so they're not sophisticated at it yet, but my oldest two already know how to do this, where they're coming to me like, dad, you're amazing. Dad, you're the funnest. My, my wife will constantly pit us against each other and asking them who's the favorite parent. Um, I wouldn't recommend that, but it happens. And so like, who's, who do you like, mommy or daddy? We, you're the funnest, we love you, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, stop, 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 stop. Like you're good kids. You're not that good. What do you want? What are you asking me to do? Like, what, like, what is this gonna entail? And so this is the disciples' version of that, coming to Jesus and going, hey, Rabbi, um, when did you get here? And Jesus is like, stop. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing small talk with you guys. I'm Jesus. I know you're here. I know you're talking to me for a reason. And, and because I'm Jesus, I'll just, before you continue on, I'll tell you what you want. I'll go, because that's what I do. Verse 26, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Hey guys, just, you're here because you want more from me. You're here because you want something else from me. Like I know, like just stop the small talk. I don't do that. I know that you have an agenda in mind. I get it. The feeding the 5,000, that was amazing. The walking across the water, that was a pretty nice encore. And now you want more of that. Now, here's the thing, just real quick before I, I continue on. This is so important. Jesus' miracles seemed random. They were never random. 
You know, the randomness of he heals this person, he ignores this person. He moves on their behalf and then he doesn't even give them the time of day. He keeps moving toward Jerusalem and he stops for this guy out of nowhere. Like he could have done that for everywhere, for, for everyone. And so it seemed at some level that Jesus' miracles was random, but it was never random. And this is so important, it was never about the miracle. Every miracle that Jesus ever did was a sign that was pointing to something bigger. And so Jesus over and over again would basically go, I know you're enamored with the food. I know you're enamored with the fact that they're healed. I know you're enamored with the fact they couldn't walk and now they can. And I get it, you have every reason to be, but that's not the point. Every miracle that I have ever done points to something new and it points to something bigger. And it's not the miracle, it's the kingdom of God. I am ushering in a new system, a new way of thinking, a new way of operating in such a way that's gonna change the world. And so I just want you to know, the sign, the miracle is pointing to something else. It's pointing to someone else. And Jesus would say, that someone else is me and that something else is the kingdom of God that I am ushering in that is bigger than anything that you have ever imagined it is going to change the world. See, this, this is why like anybody who starts with the, hey, if you just whatever, have enough faith in Jesus, pray this, and then Jesus is going to fill in the blank. I mean, not to be too cynical, generally they want your money because Jesus never promised that. And Jesus signs and miracles as amazing as the healing was, Amazing as maybe the prosperity was for some individual, as amazing as the, I can't believe Jesus did that was, it was never about the thing. It was never about the circumstance. It's about Jesus. It was about what Jesus was ushering. It was never about the immediate. It was always about the ultimate. And so Jesus knows what they're thinking in verse 28. They're hearing them and they're, okay, we get that. But then they ask him, so, okay, I understand. And we get where you're going, Jesus, and all of that. But what must we do to do the works of God or the work that God requires? Basically, okay, uh, we understand all that. Okay, you have a good point. And yes, we have an agenda and we want something from you. And what we want from you is, can you show us how to do some of that stuff? You know, so we can participate in the kingdom work, but like what you've done is crazy. And we'd like to be a part of that. We'd like you to show us how to do that. And so Jesus answered, and I love this. This is so simple and so profound. The work of God is this. Let me just boil it down for you. People are gonna complicate it. This is it. It's to believe in the one that God has sent. In essence, the point Jesus is making to them is, guys, you are so caught up in what's happening in the moment. You're so caught up in what I'm gonna do for you. You're so caught up in where your circumstances are gonna lead. You're so caught up in what else is Jesus going to do to make our life better? I'm just telling you, this is the point of everything for me. Jesus would go, the point is, I want you to trust me. The point is, I want you to follow me. The point is, I want you to move in my direction. And ultimately, I know how to get you there. And you don't even know where there is. You think you know where there is. You think you know where you should head. You think you know what is the best destination for your life. You don't. I know how to get there. I know how to move you there. I know what your soul was created for. And so the whole point of why I'm doing anything is I want you to trust me. I want you to follow me. I want you to move in my direction, believing that my destination, what I have in mind for your life is better than anything else that you have in mind for your life. And the disciples are like, yeah, 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 we get that. But they still had an agenda, so it's not working and they changed tactics. 
So verse 30, okay, so we get all that. But what's Jesus, we're listening, but what sign or what evidence will you give that we may see it and believe you? Like, what will you do? We just, we need something. And then they're like, okay, and this is just, this is popping into our head out of nowhere. Like, we just happen to think about this. Um, so let's just go with it. Remember when our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and it was written, like, you know this, Jesus, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Do that sign again. Could you, could you perpetuate that? Could you do that again? Could we see that? Like, that's the kind, like, we understand everything you're saying, but could we see some more of that stuff? Could you do what you did for the Israelites coming out of Egypt? And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father. In essence, guys, you're missing the point. You're so enamored with your circumstances. You're so enamored with how can Jesus make it better. You're so enamored with what you can get from me. You're so consumed with the provision that you forget that the point was about the provider. For the bread of, the, of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and he creates this word picture that they completely miss. Is the bread that comes down from heaven and he gives life to the world. Guys, bread was a symbol of life. And you guys think you know where life is at? You think you know how to attain life? You think you know where to get what you need for your soul? But I'm just telling you, I am the source of life. And then they couldn't hold back any longer because again, they're listening to Jesus, but they still have their own agenda. And for some reason, they are so consumed with food. And so verse 34, they couldn't hold back. And they're like, um, sir, just being respectful, always give us this bread. And Jesus is like, are you serious? Basically, could you just give us more of that? Could you just let it rain bread? Could you do what you did for the Israelites coming out of Egypt? Like we want more of that. Like make our life better, Jesus. Like you've made some of these other people's lives better. Like that's what we're asking you to do. And I think Jesus just shook, shook his head. And then he turned to them. And I love this line. I love this phrase. I am, guys, I am Peter, eye contact. I am the bread of life. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is, you're looking at all these other things and all the obsession with your circumstances and what Jesus can do to make things better and how you can obtain life. And what you're missing all along the way is, I am life. You follow me, it is a direction toward life. I am the source of what your soul longs for. I am the source of what you want. I am what ultimately you're looking for on planet earth. And when you get me, it's not about getting better circumstances. This is the promise of Jesus. You follow Jesus, you get Jesus. And Jesus is better than everything else. And so he's sitting there talking to these guys and then it just gets weirder. And they're trying to follow Jesus, but it's not really a popular message because they just wanna know about how Jesus is gonna do more of what he's already done. And then Jesus slides into, if you've ever read these verses, into his eat my flesh and drink my blood talk. And everybody's like, are you serious? Like, what are you talking about? It just gets weird and everybody's uncomfortable. And then James and John, I've got to imagine, they, and they basically, this is my paraphrase, but they do, they go over to Jesus like, hey, Jesus will be right back. Jesus, come here. Because the crowd's starting to thin out. People starting to leave. They're like, that's enough, man. We don't want any more of this. So I, James and John kind of take him aside. They're like, hey, Jesus, you got to knock it off. I don't know if you've noticed. All the crowds are leaving. They eat my flesh, drink my blood sermon. It's not playing real well. 
Like, remember you told the Good Samaritan story? Go tell that one. But eliminate the Good Samaritan because that's racially uncomfortable for us. Make the Jew the hero of the story. So like, go tell that with the Jew as the hero and that'll be amazing. Go, actually, no, 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 no. Go tell the prodigal story. That's a banger. That thing gets an applause every single time. Go tell that. They'll love that. But the eat my flesh, drink my blood, the whole thing of like, you, you can't come for something bigger. The crowd's not loving that. And so verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples says, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? In essence, Jesus. This is so uncomfortable. This is not really what we came for. This is not what we were hoping that you would say. And in verse 61, I love this, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, this is so powerful. Hey guys, if you forgot from a few verses ago, I can read your mind. Does this offend you guys? Are you offended too? Basically, does this cause you to have second thoughts about me? In verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed Jesus. They unfollowed him. And they unfollowed him for a lot of the same reasons that we've unfollowed him, maybe for a season or you've been there for a decade. Because Jesus didn't do for them what they wanted Jesus to do for them when they wanted Jesus to do it. And for some of you, we just get real honest for just a second. That's a little bit of your story and it's human nature and I get it. And we've all, I think, struggled with it at some point, but you prayed for your dad and you pleaded with God concerning your dad in high school and your dad didn't recover. And it just felt like the best option was to walk away because it was really hard to maintain faith in Jesus through that. You prayed for a scholarship and to other people, maybe it's not that big a deal. For you, it was seven years of your life and it a little bit felt like your identity and you felt like fa a failure without it and you can't understand why God didn't come through. For others of us, you prayed and you pleaded and you wept asking God to take away certain desires that God didn't take away. And then somebody sat down with you and told you that there was no way that you could try to follow Jesus and struggle with those desires. And so you just decided to walk away from Jesus. Others of you walked through a season where you prayed that God would restore and reconcile your marriage and your marriage got worse. You prayed that God would intervene and would heal your daughter and she wasn't healed. And it just gets to the point, let me just like say what all of us have felt at some place along the line, you, you just felt like you were done. And I don't know if I can follow Jesus beyond this point. I don't know if I can follow Jesus beyond this circumstance. I don't know if I can follow Jesus beyond this unanswered prayer. I don't know if I can follow Jesus beyond this unanswered question. And what I love all throughout the New Testament is that your heavenly father makes it clear, I know. Like I get it. I understand it. And Jesus who condescended into human flesh 
all throughout this time with the disciples and to us is saying, listen, I know it's hard for you to wrap your mind around this because we are just accustomed to, okay, it's about better circumstances. It's about a better life. It's about this tracking differently. It's about trend lines up and to the right. It's about they should be healed. God should answer. It should get better. And then when it doesn't, our faith feels really fragile. And Jesus says to you, as difficult as it is to acknowledge and as painful as all of those experiences are and your heavenly father knows and Jesus knows, Jesus would say to you, what I'm inviting you into is better. It's better than just a better circumstance. It's better than just a better outcome. I'm inviting you into something that is beyond temporary and beyond immediate. I am inviting you to follow me. And then the 12 disciples are sitting there and they're still, they're, Jesus has just unearthed what they're feeling. And they're worried about a couple of things. They're worried about the momentum being lost because Jesus was a rock star up into this point. They're, they're worried about like what's gonna happen with the crowds. And really what they're worried about, if you've seen this in the New Testament, the crowds equaled one thing, the crowds equaled protection. What the disciples were really concerned about was not just packed crowds. When the crowds thinned out, their protection would go away. Because the reason the religious leaders couldn't take Jesus, crucify Jesus sooner, take Jesus away sooner was because of the crowds. I mean, everybody loved Jesus. Everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. So if they took Jesus in the midst of the crowds, there would be a mob scene. And so the disciples started to worry, okay, if the crowds go away, our protection goes away. There's no security detail anymore. Like this could end really badly for us. And Jesus sensing all of this, like he understood their fears. He saw what they saw. So he looked at them. He looked at the crowd. He looked back at them, made really uncomfortable contact, eye contact. And then he said, you, you, You guys, you guys don't want to leave too, do you? Let's just say what you're thinking and feeling right now. You guys don't want to leave too, do you? And everybody is, again, by this time they're tracking, like we should just stop trying to think thoughts right now. Like we should just like sing song lyrics in our head, go back to Jewish Torah Sunday school. Like this is not going well for us. Jesus is like, no, no, I know, I know your heart. I know where you're at in the, this moment. Do you guys wanna to leave too? Are you considering walking away from me too? And then I love Peter in this moment. Peter who is so revealed in all of his humanity throughout the New Testament, he gets a terrible rap. If you were to be there during all of those times, you would have done all the same things Peter did. And so would I. And Peter is there and I love this moment for Peter because it's a rare good moment. And Peter sees what they didn't see Peter sees a lot of times what we don't see. Peter sees what I'm hoping some of us see in this moment, but Peter asks a defining, clarifying, powerful question when he says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? Okay, just straight up, because I know you know what we're thinking already. Yes, I just cards on the table. Yes, we're thinking about leaving you. Yes, we're thinking about unfollowing. Yes, we're thinking about it's too much. It's too crazy. Your talks are too weird. It's getting way too uncomfortable. Now there's gonna be sacrifice involved. I just don't know that if we can deal with that any longer. So if you wanna know the truth, yes, we are looking at walking away from you. I've considered it there. But where else am I gonna go? Because we don't, Peter would say, we don't know how to get there. 
And in this moment, there's so much lack of clarity, we don't even know where there is. I'm not sure where my life should go. I'm not sure what's next. I'm not even sure what my own soul wants most of the time. And I also know this, I know it's gonna get difficult because you are, you are thinning out the crowd in a, at an alarming rate. But me in this moment moving in a different direction from you, I know does not guarantee a better destination. Because Jesus, stay with me for a second. If not you, then who? And if not this, then what? And I love this. You have the words of eternal life. And we've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. In essence, Peter's like, listen, before you, our whole life was just fishing. And then we get married we'd have a few kids and we're dead. And that's great. I mean, unless you're me, the fishing part sounds horrible, but the marriage and kids like that, that's cool. But for others of you, like, you know, fishing is, is incredible, but still like that was all. And you invited us into something so much bigger and so much better. And come on, they had no idea in the moment what it would mean, that, what that decision would mean to not walk away from Jesus. I mean, if somebody could have whispered in Peter's ear, hey, Peter, just stay around. You're gonna be big someday. Everybody's gonna know about you. They're gonna build monuments in your name. You've heard me say this before, but like I know Nero is the guy. I mean, everybody knows about Nero. He's the most powerful man in the world. One day people are gonna name their dogs Nero. They're gonna name their kids Peter. It's gonna go great for you. The world's gonna know your name. I mean, they had no idea if somebody could have whispered in their ear to go, no, no, I know it's gonna get really difficult. It's gonna be really, really hard. I know suddenly following Jesus is going to mean sacrifice. But this little thing that I'm starting called the church, it's gonna be a movement that's gonna go to the world and it's gonna work. And 2000 years later, everybody is gonna know my name. Just hang in there, don't unfollow me. They had no idea that in Rome, one day, Roman crosses would line everything. The very Colosseum where Christians would die would now be adorned with crosses. If somebody could have whispered in their ear to go, hey, just, just so you know, one day Rome is gonna be dominated with the symbol of this cross and it won't be a symbol of Roman crucifixion. That'll be long forgotten. It'll just be a symbol of one singular crucifixion that all the world will know about. What you are deciding to not do in this moment and instead follow me in my direction is gonna mean everything for you. So to whom shall we go? And come on, can I just tell you this and then I'll start to wind this down. Anytime you walk away from Jesus or if you're considering walking away from Jesus in one area or segment of your life, this is the thing that a lot of times we just don't see. When you walk away from one thing, you are always walking towards something else. If there's no neutral ground. And when you walk away, you have to decide whether what you are walking toward is better, whether that trade-off is worth it. To whom shall we go? Whenever I read this, I can't help but think of really two main events in my life. And um, 
it's no overstatement to say that these couple words were defining for me in terms of not walking away in that season. It was the first was when I was getting ready to uh, register for seminary and I had done that and I had finally kind of, you know, submitted to, okay, I think this is what God wants for my life. And I went kicking and screaming a little bit, but I I think this is where God's leading me and I'm gonna trust my direction to him. And I remember getting kind of at the edge of that and I was filled with so much anxiety and so much fear and so much doubt, honestly. And I just remember like, and I'm not overstating this, I wasn't really ready to walk away from Jesus, but I just thought like, I don't know if I wanna fully follow his direction for my life. Like this is gonna call, I mean, being a professional Christian, that's another level. And you're gonna think I'm making this up or making fun and I'm not. These were real thoughts and they were shallow, but they were my thoughts, so like whatever. Um, But I I literally thought like all of the things that I'm gonna give up, like like the the pool of girls that I'm gonna be able to date is gonna be so small. Like I've told this story before, I met my wife, it was a blind date and this friend of mine set us up and I really didn't want to. And this is no offense if you're a Christian school teacher, I love you and I'm sure this is not the case and this may be offensive to you, so... Uh, email a church, but like I, he told me about her and like, she's a Christian school teacher. Duh, she's amazing. I thought, no, 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 no. But I'm like, this is what I'm gonna be relegated to. Like as a pastor, she's gonna wear ankle length jean skirts that she made herself and a polo, polo shirt and hair's gonna be in a bun and she's gonna wear Crocs. And I know those have come back, but they shouldn't have like all of that stuff. Like this is, and you think I'm just making that, those dead serious. Those were my thoughts. And then I started thinking about my kids. I'm like, oh my gosh, my kids? And, and my dad, I've said this so many times, the most faithful man I've ever known. I'm a second generation pastor, which says so much about my dad. But I watched my dad get treated really badly in some seasons. And I thought, this is a surefire way for my kids to have to have therapy. I did. I was like, I, do I want to do that to him? And there were seriously all of these doubts. And there was more of them. But I thought, am I willing to follow Jesus into this? And I'm telling you, the statement, the words that popped to the forefront of my mind in that season when I was really struggling, to whom shall I go? Like, where, if I don't follow you, what am I gonna follow? If I don't follow you into this, where else am I gonna go? And honestly, just one other real quick, and I had a mentor of mine say one time that like when you walk away from a message and you're a little bit unsure if you shared too much, then that's the first time you're starting to get authentic, so here we go. Um, but a couple years ago, I, I struggled with the same thing and I got so um, disillusioned, not with Jesus. I felt like, honestly, I loved Jesus more than I'd ever loved Jesus before. I, I struggle with his church. And that's, that's really, I shouldn't admit that um, because I was a pastor, so that's the problem. But there were so many things where I just thought, Jesus, I love you. I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And I was at a, at a kind of global level. So it wasn't, it wasn't even just all personal, just at a global level, just some of the things that I, I, I saw where I just felt like, and again, I was a pastor, I should be doing something about it, but I just felt like the church had drifted so much and I struggled so much with being the political pawn um, in order to use Jesus to get power in our culture. And I hated the fact that the evangelical church as a whole couldn't even talk about racism. I hated the fact that we would just marginalize whole groups of people and there was so much self-righteousness involved. And I hate that as much as you try to tell people, like it's just follow Jesus and, and Jesus invites you to, to come join him before you ever change, that we continue to wanna go back to the invitation of no, 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 you gotta change and then you can join. And that just isn't the invitation of Jesus. And struggling with whole people groups that have, are struggling with sin and identity and worth. 
and creating all of these hoops to jump through. And I just really got to the point of like, I just, the Christian nationalism and the perversion of all of that, slapping Jesus on a banner with American flag draped around him. I said, I just don't know if I, I just don't know if I can do it anymore. And I, there's no joke. I remember coming back to those words. And, and the thing is that I, I thought in that moment, and so I know this is uncomfortable for some because I've, I've written about this and some love it. Others are just very angry about it. But just this whole idea that you, as much as the church is flawed, you can't love and follow Jesus without loving and fighting for Jesus' church because it is the body of Christ. And so I, I just got to the places as, as difficult as it is, Jesus, I, I have to follow you in this area. And those were the words that popped into my mind. If not you, then who? And if not this, then what? To whom shall I go? And I just feel like that I should say this because people get nervous because I'm still a pastor. I love my church. <laughs> I love you guys. I love what God is doing. But it is a fight to remain faithful to what Jesus has called us to. And so I just want you to say this with me. And I gotta wind this thing down, but can we just say this together? To whom, and I know it sounds weird in classroom S, but I just want to get this in our minds and our hearts. To whom shall I go? Can you say that with me? To whom shall I go? One more time like you mean it. To whom shall I go? The crazy thing, it's a comforting thing to me. The people, the, the disciples that were closest to Jesus, they struggled with all of this. That's what I love. And they were tempted to walk away. You're tempted in certain seasons, you may be there right now, tempted to walk away. For some of you have already walked away. And this is the question. I can just tell you, and I know this isn't your circumstance, but I just wanna share with you mine. I am so glad in multiple seasons, I packed up my fear and my doubt, not that you shouldn't have it, and I still have fear and I still have doubt. And in fact, this is uncomfortable for people, I have way more questions than I did when I was in seminary. I was so sure theologically about everything. I'm sure unsure about most everything now, other than Jesus is God, sin is real, he came to earth, actually died, rose from the, the grave, game over. That's all I need to be sure of. But I'm so glad that I packed up those fears and doubts and I've continued to follow in those seasons. And I don't know if this is your circumstance or not, but I think for many of you, it may be. You will be glad to. Because I can't share any other message with you or you're done after this or there was way too much Jesus talk, I get all of that. But I'm just telling you, Jesus will make your life better and Jesus will make you better at life. And he will not necessarily make it work out better. And uncomfortable things, he may not answer the prayer the way you want him. And this is why Jesus thinned out the crowd. And by, by the way, sometimes being faithful to Jesus does not look like success in the eyes of culture for a season. Sometimes the crowd gets smaller, but not because everything's gonna work out right. Jesus will make your life better because Jesus understands where you need to go. And Jesus is the source of the peace and the joy and the contentment that your soul hungers for. And John recorded it. He offers eternal life right now. And when you begin to live with eternity in mind, meaning 
like there's more to this life, that what I do right now, it matters, that this isn't all there is. It starts to change everything. It starts to change how you raise your kid. It starts to change how you function in a relationship. It starts to change how you spend your money. It starts to change what you do with your time. It starts to change things emotionally. When you live with eternity in mind, and by the way, we usually misinterpret this. I've said it throughout the series. When Jesus offered eternal life, it wasn't just heaven when you die. The moment you begin to follow Jesus, eternal life starts in that moment. Jesus like, I'm inviting you into something better right now. And come on, following Jesus isn't easy. But so what? Nothing's easy. How many times you look at your life, you're like, nothing about this is easy. Jesus is the better difficult. Jesus is the better sacrifice because following Jesus is better. He knows where you are going. He knows where you need to get. He knows who you need to be. You don't even know who you need to be. You don't even know where you need to go. You don't even know what the destination is. And so Jesus says, I want you to follow me because I'm offering the words of eternal life. Nobody else is offering you that. Nobody else is gonna give you that. And then he walked out of a grave alive in history to validate everything that he said about his life. That I really did take the debt for your sin on the cross. I really did walk out of a grave alive. I really did validate the fact that if you follow me, there is forgiveness and there is life and there is worth and there is eternity and that what you do matters. And that even in difficult circumstances, when you don't see me, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm leading you somewhere. And ultimately the destination that I lead you toward is gonna be better than anything else that you're gonna choose. And so Jesus would say, I want you to trust me. I want you to move in my direction. I want you to follow me with all of your life. And so as we end, this is what I'm asking you to do if you're in that moment, to surrender to his direction and to trust him with your destination. That is the gospel. That is, the def- that is what Jesus is inviting us into. And it can be summed up in those two sentences. Surrender your life to his direction and then you have no control over the future. You're trusting him with your destination. You're on the verge of walking away in a marriage. You're on the verge of just saying no to Jesus because of an adult child that went away and hasn't come back. You're on the verge of saying no because there's a desire and temptation that you can't beat. There's a circumstance that didn't work out the way your Sunday school teacher said it would if you had enough faith. And this is the moment and Jesus is telling you, listen, I want you to surrender to my direction and I want you to trust me with your destination. Would you stand with me all over the house? And if you're joining us online right now, would you enter into this moment if you're listening via radio somewhere and just this may not be a moment for you. This, may be, this talk, this message maybe didn't mean anything to you, but it did to other people around you. So would you just join me in prayer right now in this moment and bow your heads, close your eyes out of respect for other people um, who just in this moment, there's something happening and you didn't bargain for this. You didn't want this. But for whatever reason, you're here, you're struggling with this tension. Jesus knew about it and you're listening to me talk about it. And so in this moment, I just wanna give you an opportunity knowing that this hits a lot of different places, but I wanna give the specific opportunity for those who've never initially said, I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus and follow Jesus. I wanna give you this moment and you can pray this prayer after me. The prayer does not save you. There's no magic words. I say this all the time. There's no kind of perfect lyrics or vocabulary. It is your transfer of trust in what Jesus has done for you. And so this is your declaration. You can pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you came and lived the perfect life that I couldn't. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And three days later, I believe that you rose again. And right now I'm trusting you to save me 
forgive me. With nobody looking around, if this was your moment online, would you text Centerpoint to 94,000? We'd love to give you some information about this brand new journey and celebrate with you. Centerpoint to 94,000. And then if you're in the house this morning, you can do that same thing. But I'd also love to just acknowledge you with nobody looking around, just raise your hand to say, this is the moment that I made the decision to begin to follow Jesus. Just lift up your hand real quick. Keep it up there. Someone's gonna put a card in your hand and you can do what you want with that, but it's just an indicator. We'd love to give you some information about that new journey. Yeah, just keep that up for one second. Put a card in your hand, anybody else? Like this is the moment that I wanna make the decision to follow Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you even today for doing what you've been doing for 2000 years, watching people whose lives have been changed, going public with it through baptism. I pray others who've made that decision would as soon as they can take that next step of baptism, not because it saves them or does anything to make them more spiritual, but it is a public declaration of Jesus has done something in my life. And I want everybody to know. And today we celebrate even the life change that you've brought to this moment. And we pray this and the reconciling, redeeming, eternity offering name of Jesus, amen. Would you get really, really loud just celebrating those today who made a decision for Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.